Hey everybody, Grussell here. Thanks so much for listening to D&D&D. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at D&D&D Pod on Twitter and D&D&D Pod on Instagram or email us at dndndpod at gmail.com. Uh, you're about to listen to something a little bit different. Uh, we have no new regular episode this week, uh, as I said before in the announcements and things. Uh, I was out of town for a couple of weeks. James and Chelsea were out of town. Uh, we've had a busy October. Uh, James and Chelsea are very busy with Spooky Season over on Dead Meat on YouTube. Check them out in the Dead Meat podcast. Uh, so we're doing something a little bit different this week. I didn't want to let it pass without uh, getting something out to all of you since we have been doing this for 60-something regular episodes, and you guys have joined us along the way, so I appreciate that. And uh, I've been working on this little project, uh, something... It started just as a way to um, kind of understand the world a little bit better as we were playing the game and moving forward in the story, uh, and I decided, uh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I want to share it with the listeners. So um, what you're about to listen to is something a little bit different. It is not uh, Dungeons & Dragons. It is not gameplay. Uh, so if that's not something you're interested in hearing, uh, you can totally skip this. This isn't essential listening, you're not going to really miss out on anything um, super important to the story. Uh, You will still be able to enjoy the show if you just want to listen to it as a Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, But uh, if you are interested in the story as a story, um, what you're about to listen to is um, something written as a uh, short story to run parallel uh, to the main uh, quest that we are on, the main uh, a story, I guess. I'm saying story a lot in this. I'm sorry. I'm nervous because this is uh, this is the biggest audience I've shared something like this with uh, that I've written. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. I think it kind of shades in the world a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, we've got prints and t-shirts available in Beth's shop, bethbyrad.shop, if that's something that you would like to check out. She's got some other amazing artwork there as well. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash dndndpod, if you want to support the show that way. Uh, for as little as $12 a year, you can get early releases, and we've got some other great rewards there as well. And I think that's it for me, except for the next half hour, where I'm going to keep talking. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I'm I'm really happy with it. Please enjoy this little uh, paralogue, short story, The Bay of Shadows. Thanks, everybody. Do what's fun. That business with the stalker was foolish. His partner's voice was calm and even, yet still Ryleth heard it above the din of the sea around them. He stared out into the mist, his gaze fixed on the gray void, and he used all his willpower to keep it that way. He heard the faint hint of a chuckle and knew his efforts to appear confident were in vain. I made a decision, he had to shout over the waves, without consulting me. Ryleth forced a shrug. No risk, no reward. Are you trying to be funny? His partner stepped in front of him and glared at him with cold, dark eyes. Eyes like fresh blood. I was trying to solve a problem, Abelor. Isn't that our job? By any means necessary? That directive is not an excuse for sloppiness. Abelor towered over Ryleth. 
and knew how to use his height to make a point, forcing the shorter man to tilt his head up as though a boy talking to his father. Go ahead and scold me all you want, old man, he thought. We gained valuable intelligence. The final objective may not have been achieved, but we now know we're not dealing with a couple of pampered guild officials. I never would have sent a stalker after adventurers. Don't speak to me like I'm some overstuffed company man. Adventurers ask questions. We've dealt with their kind before. Why should this be any different? Avalor was silent for long enough to tell Ryleth that he knew the answer to that question, and was choosing his words carefully. Perhaps we'll find out when we arrive. The elf turned his attention to the mist swirling around the ship, and Ryleth tried to follow his gaze, but just found more emptiness. He knew, of course, that the mists were anything but empty, and that without the company captain to guide them, it'd be very likely their vessel would be smashed upon one of the rocky pillars guarding the bay. The autumn curtain had fallen especially hard this year, and this was thicker than normal. They'd been caught in the sweat sheet of dense cloud for three days, and Ryleth was starting to forget what it was felt like to be dry. His work as a shadow hand, the secret paramilitary wing of the Ombre Coast Trading Company, has forced him into all sorts of horrendous conditions. He spent four weeks in a dungeon in Hawksridge trying to cozy up to an absolutely mad cult leader, froze in the mountains above Haas to stoke rebellions in the hill tribes, fought giant bugs in the jungles of Rendu, while also fighting their twice-damned fever. But one thing that Ryleth Overton hated more than anything was being wet. You have no idea what this is about, then? The elf didn't move, but Ryleth noticed he narrowed his gaze. I have my suspicions. You remember the vote while we were docked in Hawksridge? Ryleth gave a cursory nod. Politics bored him to death. The grand peacocking from self-important, overeducated nobles amounted to very little in the real world. And he would know. For five years, Ryleth and Abelor worked together to further the interests of the company across the known world. Merchants and sailors may move the myriad products in which the company trades across the globe, and oligarchs may make their speeches in the halls of lords and ladies. But it was the shadow hands who ensured the gold kept flowing back towards Ombre Dana. For five years, Ryleth and Abelor have enticed riots, burned crops, unleashed monsters, stoked rebellions, retrieved damning intelligence, and even carried out the odd assassination. All this so their masters could go richer and the world keeps turning as it should. Order is kept, the powerful stay powerful, by any means necessary. Yet in the last year or so, Ryleth had noticed that their missions seemed to lack focus. They'd been sent in search of relics and magical artifacts more than in all his years with the company combined. That shift in focus did not go unnoticed. What of it? A vote for peace is only a minor setback. The company will shift to luxury goods over weapons and armor... Maybe take a small loss to start, and then convince the Empire it's time to celebrate their peace by parting with their coin. I'm sure there was a contingency plan. But of course. Talon's been fighting their little wars for centuries, and nothing much really changes. Yet it was the manner in which the Council was swayed that caught my attention. The Countess? Young and persuasive, and beautiful. You know how politicians love a flavor of the month, Appalore? No doubt some of the other nobles thought to ingratiate themselves. At first I thought so as well. But you must look past your prejudices, Ryla. There is always something more under the surface, the why of the why. Nine times out of ten, that something under the surface is us. Spare me the lectures, Ab. Spare me a reason to lecture, Rye. We must learn from our adventuring foes and ask questions, lest we risk facing our masters without them. Trust me. You will not want to enter that chamber unprepared. 
Now I must make some preparations before we arrive. Avalor took a step towards the cabin before pausing next to Ryleth. I will not bring up the stalker again, and I will not ask you to consult me before the decision like that either. I am ordering you to do so. Death is one of our most powerful weapons, but do think harder on which situations require a sword and which a scalpel. You have a long career ahead of you. I hate to see it cut short by your... human instincts. They were silent for a moment as the backhanded compliment, if you could call it that, hung in the fog. Ryleth blinked to clear condensation from his eyes. Finally, he said, What are they like? His partner peered into the sky, trying to look as though he were searching for the time rather than the right words. Insatiable, he said, and walked toward the cabin. Ryleth took the opportunity to pull his cloak tighter around his shoulders. As perceptive as his partner was, Ryleth was pretty sure he couldn't see through the back of his skull. At least not without specifically trying. Their shift lurched suddenly as a wave crashed in the hull. Deckhand scurried about with machine-like efficiency. Ryleth wasn't sure if this was from practice or out of the fear of the passengers, but supposed a little bit of both was the best option. They turned the mainsail to change their course heading due east. The hint of an ancient cypress poked through the mist not far off the port side. They must be getting close. In the spring and summer months, sailing into Ombre de was an experience unto itself. The brightly colored buildings built in the cliffside call out to travelers and traders like patisserie in a baker's window. Cobblestone streets lined with flowers wind down the natural slopes of the cliff to a massive cavern carved by the ancient Ombrescala waterfall and the gargantuan spiral staircase that shares its name. Inside the cavern, ships dock and unload their cargo as sunlight cascades through the opening where the river leaps off the cliffs high above to crash into the hidden bay below. Merchants fill carts destined for the markets and customs offices atop the stair, while travelers make their way to one of the brightly colored inns along the outer cliffs, or to the Leaping Dolphin Casino, which dominates nearly the entirety of a small peninsula forming the northern border of the bay. The thunder of the falls shouts of the deckhands. Music from the inns and clangor from the casino make the city one of the most vibrant in the world, maybe even more so than Plus Namzarid. But that's in the summer. The Autumn Curtain, as it's known, falls upon the bay as the days grow shorter, and somehow it's always during this foggy, wet haze that Ryleth finds himself in the city. He'd long ago given up any dreams of being one of the wide-eyed tourists lounging on a balcony, sweet, strong drink in hand, gazing into the bay. His was a life lived in the mists, hidden, and always a bit uncomfortable. Their ship slid into the cavern, and Ryleth was grateful that the spray from the waterfall was at least somewhat better than the constant blanket of heavy air that had surrounded them for the better part of the last week. As they docked, no music could be heard. No dirty jokes from deckhands greeted them. Just the never-ending rush of the waterfall and the faint chiming of the bells of the Illyrian monastery. Some poor ship's captain wasn't as skilled as their own. Her crew dines in the halls of the goddess tonight. As their own crew busied themselves with the usual tasks, Ryleth and Abelor disembarked without fanfare. As far as the official city customs records were concerned, the ship carried halfling goods from Moonshadow, grain from Talon, and some silks from Verendu, but most certainly did not carry two shadowhands returning to report to their masters. Despite his size, Abelor was a maestro of disappearing in plain sight, moving with a near-magical agility behind crates into crowds, changing his position to blend in with locals, a quick phrase of magic to hide his crimson eyes and pointed ears to appear as any other man. Ryleth, meanwhile, moved with a different flavor, the kind of confidence stout human can get away with in most of the world's towns. Walk with purpose, show just enough steel, and wear a look on your face that says fuck with me and you may lose an appendage. Abelor found his approach inelegant, 
but couldn't argue with the results. The pair reunited at the base of the waterfall, sliding behind the landing of the staircase as some traders loaded a cart into the lift that rose parallel to the crashing river. The stone was wet and mossy, and the air smelled of seawater and mildew. Some rubbish had found its way to the abandoned corner of the cavern, forgotten as useless by whomever cast it aside. No one would think to find anything back there worthwhile. The damp even ruled it out as a hiding place for vagrants, which made it a logical place for a secret door. Avalor tapped on a very specific rock, which created an opening just big enough for each man to slip through one at a time. They emerged in a completely dark cave. Ryleth did his best to hide his discomfort at this part of their journey. He knew the elf could see far better in this darkness than Ryleth could in broad daylight, and he hated being at such a disadvantage, waiting for his partner to open the hidden door at the opposite end of the black void, a door Ryleth knew was emblazoned with a shield quartered with a sextant, a torch, a pair of cross keys, and an open eye. Four points we have along our stems. Four points more valuable than gems. Intoned Ablor as he made the necessary gestures over the door. As the stone slab swung open, warmth blasted Ryleth as his eyes adjusted to the light from within the chamber. Avalor had to duck to make it under the doorway as they stepped in the great hall hidden underneath the waterfall. Fires burned in several fireplaces, and oil lamps and sconces cast their glow over shelves of books, tables of maps, luscious seating, dwarven tapestries, elven rugs, and artifacts from every corner of the known world displayed as trophies. Ostensibly, it was the Ombradina Explorers Guild fraternal order of adventurers and excitement seekers, but in reality it was the crucible from which the Umbra Coast Trading Company grew to its current state. Welcome back, sirs. Your rooms have been very ready for you when you are finished. Please make yourselves comfortable and someone will let you know when they're ready for you. A goateed porter held out his arms to collect their cloaks. Avalor tossed his in the way one would throw a bone to a dog. While his disagreements with Ryleth over strategy came down to elven arrogance rather than any serious racial prejudice, Abelor hated the master's servants and made no effort to hide his disdain. Ryleth had seen lesser hands severely punished for mistreatment of these creatures, but Abelor was so far avoided consequences. A perk of having served the company for so long and so well. Ryleth certainly found them unsettling, but mostly non-threatening. He would have thought Abelor would appreciate the security of having a workforce at the most guarded facility in the known world completely enthrall, but how can one ever explain the behavior of elves? Is that Hargrove's trunk over there? Ablor pointed at a collection of belongings pushed against a far wall. He pointed with his dagger, a thin, pale blade inlaid with dragon bone and a jet-black onyx pommel. The porter swallowed. Why, yes, sir. Master Hargrove arrived earlier this morning to have an audience with the masters as well. And why, you mewling skin sack, are his belongings being forgotten here in the hall? The porter looked away. Answer me, cur. The porter's goatee twitched. Sir, I... You answer me now, or another one of you ill-born louts will be chasing bats out of this room. Sir, I do apologize, but I can't... Ryleth watched the tip of the dagger the whole way, his eyes only able to keep track of the lightning-fast strike through years of training. Without blinking, he saw the silver and black blade bite into the servant's neck, splitting the skin with surgical precision. A faint gasp escaped from the servant's lungs. No doubt he believed it to be his last, but Abelor had spared his life, such as it was. Now you have one more chance to answer my question. Before the servant had an opportunity to respond, a door at the opposite end of the hall swung open. A footman, identical to the porter who greeted them in every way, save a small, unbleeding cut in the latter's neck, hemmed and beckoned them this way. They're ready for you, if you'll follow me, sirs. 
Avalor sheathed his dagger, still staring down the porter. When I return, Hargrove's bags are to be in his quarters. Ryleth followed as the elf marched toward the footman. Leave us, I know the way. And before the footman could protest, Ablor shut the door behind them and continued down a long, dimly lit stone corridor, the roar of the waterfall above them muffled to a low hum as they journeyed deeper into the earth. Ryleth's work over the years brought him many places within the headquarters, but never to the audience chamber of the company's masters. In truth, he knew very little of the people he worked for, besides they were extremely powerful and extremely wealthy. Heirs and heiresses of the founders from centuries ago, the masters keep very private lives. No one outside of a select few has looked upon them in years. Rumors persist, and to the public there is a council of eleven that presides over the day-to-day business of the company, but Ryleth knew that to be nothing but smoke and mirrors. The real power is somewhere ahead of them, deep within this cliffside, pulling the strings of commerce. Through the usual forces of economics and the added help of the Shadowhands, the OCTC controlled most of the trade in the known world. But most is not all. Insatiable, Ryleth recalled. Did you need to scare that poor creature like that, Ab? Don't pity them, Ryleth. Not around me. I won't stand for sympathy for abominations. They serve the masters just as we do. No, Ablor snapped. Not as we do. Remember what happened in Night's Pass when they took a chance on using one of those... Things did seem an odd choice, arrogant more like. Is it wise to question those we serve in such a way? It's always wise to know who you're dealing with. Remember that. After they walked in silence for a little over a mile, Avalor snapped his fingers. The sound began to echo through the corridor before Avalor waved a hand and cut it off. Ryla's eyes darted to the source of the sudden sound to see his partner's hand moving rapidly in the sign language used by Moonshadow Thieves. Hargrove, dead. Or soon. Ryleth quickened his pace so Avalor could see his own hand signed back. You sure? Positive. What are we to do? Nothing. Stay alert. But if they want us dead, we will die. Of that I am sure. They said no more for the remainder of the journey. Finally, the corridor opened up into a large antechamber with a huge vault door. Avalor twisted the steel wheel, which groaned with every turn until the door swung open in a hiss. Ryleth was surprised to find a wide, gnarled tree. At first he thought it an oak, but on second look it was unlike anything he had seen before. The bark was an ashen gray with deep, jagged ridges. The branches twisted and curled in every direction. Though there was no sunlight and the leaves were the color of charcoal, the thing appeared alive. What's this? You won't like this part. Follow me. Avalor led him toward the tree, and as they got closer, Ryla's vision began to blur. The tree seemed to have wisps of smoke rising from it. So did Avalor. The elf's white skin was suddenly glowing a dark blue-black light, as was his own. He felt himself pulled, stretched even, and his joints popped like when cracking one's knuckles. Avalor pushed aside a branch of dark leaves to reveal an opening, swirling with a horrifying void. He stepped into it, saying... It'll be over quickly, and then disappeared into the tree. Ryleth had no choice but to follow, so he stepped into the portal as well. For just a few seconds that felt like ten years, every organ felt as though it was being ripped from his body in a million different directions. The pain pierced his very soul as his vision pulsated between complete darkness and blinding, horrible light. He lost all sense of place, all sense of self. He knew only pain, only suffering. He lacked the sense to wish for death just to release him from this hell.
but Abelor was right, it was over quickly, and he found himself an instant later standing next to his partner, staring into a large stone room lit only by two candelabras on pikes about six feet high. The cavernous room swallowed the light too far back for Ryleth to guess its true size, but it didn't matter. It was the tableau in between the lights that drew his focus. An axe made of wrought iron stood before them with a man strapped to it. He was naked and pale, blood pouring from several wounds scattered across his body. Ryleth could barely make sense of what was happening as shapes began to form around the wounds like dust swirling in the wind. The shapes started to take the shadowy form of people, dark, purple eyes glowing as their faces appeared from the mists. Ryleth's head filled with the sounds of hissing and snarls. White, horrible teeth formed and Ryleth now knew the wounds to be bites. The gaping mouths disengaged from their meal, and the specters swirled above the candles, looping around in wide arcs before returning to the cross where they began taking a corporeal form. The grotesque maws became tight-lipped, smirking faces with perfect skin. The shadowy masses assembled in tall, statuesque bodies draped in the most elegant clothing Ryleth had ever seen. Three men and three women now stood before him. The only remnants of what he had seen before were their piercing purple eyes which burned into him with intense focus. Masters, so good to see you again. Ablor bowed deeply, and Ryleth mimicked the behavior while trying his best not to betray his fear. And you, Ablor. Ryleth heard six voices appear as one, thunder in his head. It is nice to finally meet your apprentice as well. You honor us, masters. How can we serve you? Despite his efforts, Ryleth's voice stammered. Better than your former comrade. We do so sincerely hope. I trust he did something to deserve his fate. Are you aware of the situation in Ravenscrest? Somewhat, my lords and ladies. Then you have heard of whom Harborough attempted to ally himself over. Ryleth looked to Abelor, who nodded. He hated being out of the loop, but dare not ask questions now. He must not show any weakness here. Good. Then we trust you will not make the same mistake. An urgent matter has arisen. You must depart at once for the Oyakoto Islands. We have a new assignment for you. D&D&D is executive produced, written, and edited by me, James Gressel. Co-produced and additional mixing by Joel Arnold. Our original music is by Jeremy Nisato. Hear more of Jeremy's music at jeremynisato.com. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Radloff, Mike Saigan, and Joel Arnold.